All right, and with that, we have a whole other set of episodes to talk about for this season. So let's transition to talking about Chapter 2 of Star Trek Discovery Season 1. Okay, okay, okay. Once more, the major beats of Chapter 2 are as follows. The crew of Discovery realizes that they've arrived in a parallel universe ruled by the Terran Empire instead of the Federation. Stamets is put in a coma by Lorca's misuse of the spore drive, while Tyler is triggered by Laurel and is revealed to actually be Volk, the Kuma's disciple, after surgical alteration and mental conditioning. They learn about their counterparts. Burnham is the ruthless former commander of the Shenjo, apparently killed by a fugitive mirror Lorca. When he goes to figure out what's wrong with him, Dr. Culper discovers some large abnormalities in Tyler's biology, wanting to relieve him of duty. Tyler breaks his neck instead. Discovery is disguised as its Terran counterpart. Burnham, Lorca, and Tyler rendezvous with the Shenjo, and Burnham assumes command with Tyler as her personal guard. Lorca is placed in an agony booth and tortured. After being ordered to kill all of its leadership, Burnham and Tyler try and reason with the resistance to the Empire. It's led by Sarek and by Voke, and hearing his reflection triggers Tyler and his memories as the prime version of Voke. This culminates in Tyler attempting to kill Burnham, but she's saved by her Kelpian slave, Mira Saru, and the Shenjo crew, and has Tyler beamed into space, where he's promptly intercepted by Discovery and locked in brick. Because she didn't kill the Resistance leadership, Burnham is reprimanded by the Emperor, Philippa Georgiou. The Emperor reveals more details about Burnham and Mira Lorca's relationship to Michael, and though initially trying to stay undercover, Burnham reveals to Giorgio that she's from the Prime Universe. The new details offered about Lorca make Burnham realize that the Lorca who's been in command of Discovery since she's been aboard is actually indigenous to the Mirror Universe, and after breaking out of custody, Lorca sets his followers on the Emperor's ship free and begins his play to take over the Empire to exact his revenge on Giorgio. Meanwhile, Stamets recovers from his coma after being informed about the damage the Empire is doing to the Mycelial Network by a vision of Dr. Culper. Burnham and Giorgio's team-up proves fruitful, and Discovery coordinates with Burnham to find a way to destroy the Emperor's ship and escape into the network once more. Lorca attempts to recruit Burnham to his side, but is betrayed and ultimately killed by the Emperor. At the last second, Discovery emerges and cripples the Imperial flagship, and beams Burnham aboard, who in turn grabs Emperor Giorgio as they all escape the Mirror Universe together. When they arrive back in the Prime Universe, they discover that they're deposited several months after they were initially displaced, and that the Federation is on the verge of losing the war with the Klingons. Now with access to the ruthlessness of the Terran Emperor, Admiral Cornwell agrees to allow Giorgio to help the Federation bring the Klingons to their knees. To that end, Cornwell has the Emperor assume the identity and rank of Prime Giorgio, and she begins preparing to lead Discovery to Kronos to defeat the Klingons. Giorgio reveals that in her universe, she took advantage of a volatile system of volcanoes, and Giorgio, Burnham, Tyler, and Tilly beam down to the surface. Tilly soon discovers that the volcanoes are active, and that Giorgio intends to make the planet uninhabitable and kill untold numbers of Klingons. Burnham successfully appeals to Cornwell's sense of morality, offers Giorgio freedom, and gives control of Giorgio's weapon to Laurel, who forces the houses to cooperate and end the war. The Discovery crew are hailed as heroes, Burnham is pardoned and reinstated into Starfleet, and they all receive commendations. On the way to Vulcan to pick up their new captain, Discovery picks up a Priority One distress signal that's revealed to be coming from Captain Christopher Pike aboard the USS Enterprise NCC-1701. <sighs> okay. All right, everybody. <laughs> you want to you wanna get a drink of water there, Chris? Yeah, I think so. Excuse me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I caught it. I mean, obviously, that's a pretty broad stroke that I was operating from, but I think I hit the major beats of everything. So... Let's start off the chapter two discussion. When you guys think of chapter two, what comes to your mind most about how it compares with the first set of episodes with chapter one? Because it's, to me, it's the pretty noticeable massive shift in tone. Yeah, chapter one was about a war, but we were also exploring locales on a starship in relatively typical Star Trek fashion. Chapter two, it seems, went really dark and just seems like a pretty big contrast. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying that I notice it. So what would you guys characterize as the key differences between the chapters from your own perspectives? Sharif, why don't you start us off? 
I mean, really, the, the the biggest difference I see is that chapter two is all all I thought about was deception. Like, even though obviously the uh, you know our our uh, prime universe folks were you know they were deceiving or as- attempting to deceive the Tarot Empire t- to um, fulfill their like goal and like leave, you know, they had to like take on these alternative kind of personalities. And I feel like everybody kind of secretly liked, you know, being able to be a little, a a little bad, you know, obviously like uh, they, they, I didn't think that they were down with, you know, the ruthless murder and stuff like that, 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 that the Terran empire did. But I think that, um, Especially Tilly, like I feel like she kind of enjoyed a little bit um, flexing her muscles a bit, um, you know. She so, did get so, into yeah. character pretty easily, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, I think the fact that like Burnham, you know, um, sort of, I feel like this this cloud of deception has always followed her from the beginning, and, and, and like, I think that she really, really shows. Um, you know how like basically how good of a liar she is which makes you know my whole thing is that it's kind of hard for me to root for her as much as i root for other main trek characters um over the years um but you can't fool michelle yo because i feel like she knew almost the whole time to be honest um so uh yeah yeah i mean i, I think i really think about like deception as like the main kind of difference is that even though it was there with Burnham in like a chapter one, I feel like it's there with like everyone through chapter two. Yeah, sure. I can, I can absolutely see that. Rachel, so now that we're getting into, you know, the regular panel, obviously we have all dissected these episodes probably to death, but we haven't really talked about these sort of larger scale, broader tonal noticings, I guess, between the chapters. So if you had to pick, for you, Rachel, what you thought actually set Chapter 2 apart from Chapter 1, what do you think it would be? The breakneck speed that everything happens. Okay. So I feel like Chapter 2 is really telling one narrative racing towards a conclusion. Uh-huh. And it didn't set up a lot of stuff to be resolved in future seasons. It didn't really open any new doors. It was just... Like, they knew where they were headed, and they were trying to get there as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like it as much, and that was primarily why, was I just felt like things were going too fast. Um, things weren't explored as much as I would like them to be, and you just didn't have as many, like, cool little moments or, like, the... You know, little diversions that can be really narratively interesting, like the Pavin planet in the mm-hmm. part one, or uh, the flashbacks with Sarek, or the um, the episode with the time loop. Right, magic to make the sanest man go mad. Yeah, yeah, which yes. I think is up for a Saturn Award, Hugo, a Hugo Award. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's... Uh, but I just felt like those were little things that weren't like necessarily crucial for the main narrative, but held interest because it was sort of like fleshing out the world mm-hmm. in an interesting way. Whereas in the the back half of the season, you're just like, you know, this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and there's, there's not a lot of... You got to strap yourself in. 
for the ride. Yeah, and it was just so like. But it's like a wooden roller coaster for you, where it's a jerky and, and you got making a- me a little sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, very good. Now, uh, now, Zachy, um, I we all noticed, I think, on the panel, and I'm sure that Sharif noticed if he if he's listened to the previous episodes of the show, that you certainly uh, opened up your your more critical side uh, through most of of chapter two. But now that things are in hindsight, do you notice as much? Well, no, I'll just I'll just take it back back to one, so to speak. What do you think are the biggest differences between the two chapters and how does that reflect now that we're on the other side of it in your own personal ranking? Uh, well, obviously in, in the biggest difference is um, although it was serialized in chapter one, there was a sense of, of distinct stories and then the, the back half was just you know, it was the extended mirror universe story. So, uh, that was the, uh, the biggest change that I felt. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, my, my cr- criticisms of, of the mirror universe as a concept and thus as a, a storytelling device still stands. I just, I, I, I cringe a little bit every time we go back there. Uh, however, now that it's in the rear view mirror, I hope it stays that way. Uh, because, okay, you know, I get it. You, you had your big, twist you know with gabriel Lorca, you know uh, uh, the captain of the ship makes a heel turn hey you know what mad props i i i like the character so i was disappointed that they did it but uh as a storytelling device you can't say star trek has ever done that before but okay i'm ready to move on now you know yeah yeah i can understand that that's that's uh I mean, I was I, I shared your disappointment overall with Mirror Lorca just because he was so fascinating. But yeah, you know, what is what do? it is, and yeah, and and you're right. You know, credit where credit is due. It was, it was different. That's that's for certain, especially in the wider uh, discussion of the franchise. Cicero, yes. Now, when yeah. you look at chat, because for the most part. It seemed like you were you were just along for the ride, and that you were kind of enjoying every new twist and turn that was thrown at you. Uh, so, does that hold up when you look back on uh, Chapter Two? And what do you think are the biggest differences between the two? So, I, I'm going to answer the second question first. Um, so, when I think of Chapter Two, it makes me think of Doc Brown's DeLorean, um, okay. because, <laughs> like the license plate said. It was out of time, baby. So <laughs> they, they uh, you know, they really pushed everything into a microwave. And I kind of said this, um, you know, as we were leading into uh, chapter chapter two, um, everything was in a microwave, and and they, you know, they they, you know, nuked nuked the second second half of the season. And you know, and now now that we're kind of separated from it, I take a, a more zen approach for for uh, um, about it. Um, yeah, I was definitely along for the ride. And what I realize now is that they weren't necessarily positive that they were going to get a second season for the mm. show going into mm. going into chapter two. So, it, you know, so they set, they spent a lot of time setting up a lot of stuff, building a world that people that uh, viewers would want to return to um, for a second season and beyond. But in case they didn't get a second season, they did that in chapter one. 
And and in case they didn't get a second season, chapter two was there to tie up all of the loose ends for this first season so that you had at least a cohesive story. Um, whether you, you know, whether you like the resolutions of that story or if you felt like uh those resolutions were were kind of uh uh push pushed together and cleaned up a little too neatly um for you know for your own personal liking which which is kind of how i felt um but at least there were resolutions and you weren't left kind of wondering what was going to happen with this crew and what was going to happen with this story or this plot or what have you uh so all of that stuff was done in the course of five episodes um and so you know that's kind of the zen approach to it um from a from a non-critical standpoint and obviously we're here to be critical but if i can't if i can not be critical for a second man what a fun popcorn ride those last Mm -hmm. five episodes were um each and every one of them or at least the last three of those episodes were all like hour-long movies um, you know, especially the mm-hmm. the the resolution of the whole Mira episode uh, when they came back. You know that I mean, as we talked about during that episode uh, in our recap of that episode, the the fight scene in the throne room was the greatest fight scene that had ever been seen on any track. You know, a- across the movies and anything else. Um, so, mm-hmm. like that episode alone was just was phenomenal. Like. Uh, yeah, I really, a lot of really, good uh, space-based fights in throne rooms yeah, over the last several months. Huh? Yes, yes, exactly. And and you know, and the effects were great. And and you know, they were able to to throw a bunch of stuff together. And and so, uh, with you know, Sans criticism, what a fun ride. Um, but if you include the criticism, it's just like, well, you you really you really made the you know part. Chapter one was very cerebral. And chapter two was very broy, um, and you know, so like, can you put those together and make a cerebro? Am I crossing streams? Well, actually, uh, you know, the Star Trek Star Trek books were Marvel anyway, so yeah, so we can we can borrow cerebro. Um, and uh, so you know, um, so. Uh, I enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it all. Um, it, you know, I was overall, I was disappointed in, in um, the way that it really departed from, from chapter one in the way that it kind of built the world. Um, but I understand it now, you know, stepping away from it and, and uh, having some time to reflect on it all. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think that's understandable and pretty consistent with, with where you've been. I mean, how how could you not at least admire the ride that they're putting us on? I mean, for for everything that we notice in the Star Trek franchise in all of its iterations, uh, Discovery very much did endeavor to do something different, regardless of you know some reductive analyses by some fans who try and accuse it of of being the same. I don't think that's fair. I, I think that it very much set out to be a different kind of Star Trek show. And I think that it largely succeeded. Whether or not it was ultimately successful, that's up to personal determinations. But to say it wasn't different, I don't think is fair. But uh, let's step through that looking glass a little bit and talk about 
the the fact that this show went to the mirror universe. So, Sharif, we all have pretty different feelings on how the mirror universe is used in chapter two. Zaki was a very vocal critic about it. I tended to find it generally interesting. Cicero was enthralled, and Rachel said she was fine with it. It was just like she was. I think she was just still mad about the war, right? And still not fitting. <laughs> yeah, more not not quite fitting in. Uh, but where do you stand? Do you think that it helped or hindered the back half of the season by actually going to that parallel universe? I like the idea of the parallel universe. I do not like the idea of it being so short. Mm-hmm. Like as I felt like with a lot of this um, discovery season. I feel like they stuffed too many plot lines that could have been stretched out and nuanced. Um, you know, like they kind of stuffed them all into one season because they really wanted you. To, they really wanted it to be unpredictable and, and, like you know, kind of appeal to this new generation of viewers that are used to you know, like they kind of judge things by not being surprised by them, like Westworld, Game of Thrones kind of era, like like, like post those shows era, you know. Sure. Um, so I feel like they really wanted to evoke that and get that kind of fan in there. But the bad side is I feel like the mirror universe is something that could have been looked at over the majority of a season. And they could have really delved into the nuances of like the differences and the similarities of these characters, except making like, you know, mirror universe bad, our universe good, which is kind of how, <laughs> uh, how it kind of ended up, you know? And like, I feel like that was really a, you know, a really um, missed opportunity, you know, I'm the science guy, but to really delve into what it means to have a a parallel universe, you know, in terms of like quantum physics and stuff and like relativity. So Mm -hmm. um, I really think that they could have really delved into it, really made something awesome, Um, you know, and, you know, I'm I'm not saying that they need to make interstellar, you know, Um, (laughs) but I do think that they could have had sort of like a happy medium that could have both you know, really dug into some like, like the ramifications of some known scientific concepts kind of taken to the extreme in like the Trek universe. Um, And like, also, I feel like they could have used this to really flesh out some of those characters in the background that I feel like didn't really get to talk a lot. Um, Yeah, I feel like that could have been an opportunity to meet maybe the mirror versions of like those characters are a lot more involved and like assertive. And then, like, I feel like that that could have been a opportunity to bring those other characters into it as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, one of my main criticisms of Discovery is I feel like there's not enough of the crew that we really get to know. I feel like when I think about like Voyager and TNG and uh, that kind of stuff, I feel like I know more about more people on the crew. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I was. In short, I was fine with the Mary Universe. I just feel like it was kind of simplified and ran through a little quickly. Mm-hmm. Very understandable perspective. Well, same question to the whole panel. Now that we've sort of lived with the idea of these episodes being added to the Mirror Universe stories in the franchise, and obviously, you know, not a lot of time has passed. It's certainly not as much time as has passed with every other Mirror Universe episode and every other show where we can precisely quantify what its position is in in star trek history but how has the fact that the show has gone there and the way that it ultimately uh executed its place in the mirror universe how has that been sitting with you 
since we are now on the other side of season one. Cicero? Yeah, I so it makes me when you're as you were talking about it, it makes me think about uh shameless plug time. Um my appearance on Scott McNulty's random trek episode, uh, where he talked about uh you know, a lot of people think about Discovery as a prequel to TOS, where he thinks mm-hmm. about Discovery as a sequel to Enterprise. Uh, right. I remember him saying that. And yeah. and when you think about it that way, and specifically thinking about it that way with re- with respect to uh, the two-parter in Enterprise, Amira Darkly uh, two-parter for where they go to the Mirror Universe, um, th- it really makes a lot of sense. And I kind of echo some of some of Reef's feelings about the mirror universe much to Zaki's dismay that I would have loved to see more time spent uh delving deep into you know what makes their universe different from ours and what makes it similar to ours and I think we got a little bit of that when we you know when I specifically when I was talking about you know Emperor Giorgio versus uh Prime Giorgio and and their similarities with their relationship with their respective Burnhams um, that, that there was, there was enough similarities there where you can see like, okay, there were these small breaks in thought processes that, that took us to the prime, took us the prime way and took them the, you know, took them the mirror way um, that really made that, that made the difference. Um, but I would have loved to see more of that. I don't think, I think uh, much to Zaki's joy, I don't think we will actually go back unless this, unless this show becomes a, a roaring success and we get four or five seasons. I don't think we're going to go back to the mirror universe anytime soon. Um, or we'll, well, yeah. Or we'll go back to the mirror universe at all on discovery. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely do think it was an opportunity lost uh, to really explore the uh, relativity of it all and the, and the quantum physics of it all, um, which which is a shame, mm-hmm. Zachy. Don't you agree? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will get to that. We will get to that. I'm just getting ready to flip the switch. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about, too. I'm just getting ready for it. But before that, Rachel, now you are not a Star Trek neophyte. You said that you were fine with the mirror universe stuff. You've seen every mirror universe. You know what it means when a woman says fine. It's fine. Uh, Amen. But maybe I don't. I don't know because. (laughs) But I mean, you've seen every mirror universe episode multiple times. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Except for maybe one or two of the Deep Space Nine episodes. You know what the conception of this alternate world is supposed to be, and you know where it stands in the cosmology of the Star Trek universe or Star Trek multiverse. So what do you think? Give me your true feelings about the mirror universe in Star Trek Discovery. Do you sort of agree with Sharif? Was this their way to get to the Game of Thrones crowd by you know inciting all of this surprise? Were you kind of just okay with going along for the ride, or did you feel... Something else. 
so everyone he he touched my heart when he said yes. what do you feel do you feel in your heart i want to know what's what's in the beating heart because you have a gift for understatement and i need to know okay hubson needs to know okay um <laughs> I just I'm like the thing that comes to mind is it was fine. <laughs> no, I uh, with some time to digest it and in the context of the larger context of the season, I, I think I have warmed to the Mirror Universe episodes. Really? Yes. So I look back at them with fondness in my heart. Hey, right. <laughs> um. And, uh, I mean, I'm a modern TV viewer. I like solving the, the show. And so I really liked kind of seeing my little theories come in into actuality mm-hmm. on the screen. So I liked that and I, I thought it was, that was good. Um, it, it is kind of a missed opportunity to explore some more like hard sci-fi themes like, mm-hmm. like Reef was talking about. Um, but I kind of get why they didn't do that in the context of the short amount of time that they had. So like my problems are far, far more with the Klingon war and the stuff when they get back from the mirror universe than with the mirror universe itself. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I think my only problem with it was that it would have been cool if Lorca had maybe a more complex origin story mm-hmm. than just, oh, he's evil. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I think, I think you know, it was good. Okay, all right. Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> that word again. <laughs> fine. <laughs> all right. Zachy, tell you tell me if I if I need to flip the switch. <laughs> no, it was fine, Chris. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that. I almost feel like I I don't. I mean, there's nothing else I can say because I don't want to be like Debbie Downer every chance every time we mention the mirror. Speak universe. your no, truth. No, no, no. I, like, I don't. Slowly he turns. Yeah, speak you know? your truth. No. <laughs> Niagara Falls. <Hey>, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, but but I don't I don't see your perspective that way. I, I anybody who's listened to this show, anybody who knows you, knows how much this franchise means to you and how much these stories have meant to you throughout your entire life. And that's the only thing that I want to get at because you know we we were so we were so committed to dissecting each episode as it came out and the broader strokes. Like I know, and everybody who's listened to this show so far knows that. You have problems with the the very concept of the mirror universe, and I think you put it very well when I think the first time that we spoke about it, you said that's a concept that was designed to work for 50 minutes in the 1960s, and it did. And stretching it beyond that, I know you have some serious misgivings about, but even knowing all of that stuff and understanding what the capabilities and aims are for a modern television series... Do you think that if Star Trek wanted to try and get that Game of Thrones crowd that Sharif was talking about, was the Mirror Universe the wrong place to go to get it? Or do you think they maybe had the right idea? I mean, I, I think once you, once you move into the Mirror Universe, you are uh, sort of divesting yourself of any real attempt to win over a broader audience. I mean, that's, that's inside, inside, you know? 
Uh, sure. So, so uh, given that, you're like, okay, that's fine. I mean, I'm already inside, so it's it's not a big deal. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, I said this before. I remember when they did the last two episodes, uh, or the, those two episodes in the last season of Enterprise, and they were in the Mirror Universe, and so many people were like, oh, it was great, and you got to see all the, the stuff and whatever. And I remember at the time being like, we are down to just a handful of episodes, and now we are wasting precious runtime uh, with stuff that doesn't directly you know it has nothing to do with our universe right and with this mm-hmm. i mean it's it does have something to do with our universe in that it in, it does involve a crossover so that's fine but I, I mean i still feel like my god did we need this many episodes to do this like it just it's like writing for the trade you know it's like brian bendis uh <laughs> doing you know ultimate spider-man or whatever i i feel like we could have cut the, we could have trimmed this we could have got them back home and we could have gotten to something resembling a more traditional track status quo. So a lot of it feels like uh, uh, padding for the trade paperback, if you will. <laughs> I was, I was relatively sedate. <laughs> you, you, you I, I'll give you this. You were, sed- but I mean, I, I, yes. I heard the fire though. Yes. I heard it. <laughs> lingering just below the surface. Okay, well, let me ask you this, though, though, Zachy, because yes, we didn't, uh, we're out of the mirror universe. And I think Cicero has a very good point when he says, this is probably not going to reoccur at some point in the future. However, we do know with relative certainty that the prime universe has something or someone that they should probably bring home at some point. Would a story involving the exfil of Gabriel Lorca back home to the Prime Universe justify visiting it again in the future? If that's a potential story that they explore, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always ready for the good version of of whatever story they're going to tell. And 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 just to be clear, I I certainly didn't watch any of this mirror arc and say, oh, what a piece of crap. I, I, I was engaged for the most part. So I, I'm definitely not coming at it uh, from that perspective. And even, even, um, you know, Emperor Giorgio, like we know she's <laughs> farting around somewhere. So we're, realistically, we're going to see her again. That's fine. You know, like I get it. Like, like the, the, these are the stories they're going to tell. That's fine. But I'd, I'd rather not do another extended layover in the mirror universe. I, I I'm with Cicero there where it's like, all right, we did it. You got it out of your sister. You happy now? You know, it's it's mm-hmm. like forcing. You find a, your your kid has like a pack of cigarettes, so you make him smoke the whole pack, which I guess is what parents used to do. Which <laughs> right. seems like crappy parenting. To we were way. all crappy parents. <laughs> it's like a terrible thing to do to your kid. You know, <laughs> that was such a common yeah, like eighties make- thing. You know, we're gonna make your lungs even worse, <laughs> and it's your fault. Uh, well, but on 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 another point too, that uh, the host of Random Trek, as Cicero mentioned had a different conception of discovery instead of as a prequel to the original series as a sequel to enterprise. And we've seen some more overt connective tissue with enterprise. Does that do anything? He hated the, he hated the enterprise episodes too. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, uh, but I just mean like in, in concept as for the show to be a sequel to what we've seen before, as opposed to a prequel to what we know is coming. Right. Yeah. I think that uh, anything, and you know this because I've said it repeatedly, but anything that ties uh, uh, Enterprise more directly into the canon as opposed to being like the thing that you wipe off your shoe, I'm, I'm always happy to, to get that 
Like, uh, you know, I, I, I squeaked a little bit when um, uh, Admiral Cornwell, you know, mentioned uh, Jonathan Archer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at, at the tail end of uh, the, the first yeah, half there. Yeah. Well, and um, like I've said before, too, I think that uh, Enterprise has managed to work its way into something of Star Trek royalty. Now people are seeing it with a whole new level of appreciation, particularly people yeah, who hate this show. Fuck it, haters. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, but I mean, particularly people who hate this show now they're longing for Enterprise, right. which I find <laughs> eminently funny. fascinating. You know, but yeah, but suck it, you haters too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got another thing to ask you before we open it back up. So one of the things that seem well, I guess I guess I'll offer my perspective on this before. Uh, my mine hasn't really changed much after reflecting on the entire season at large uh the mirror universe i do feel was worth going to but i'm i'm kind of i think in general agreement with all of you that there are some things that represented missed opportunities uh not the least of which being i guess a a more focused perspective because we got to see these sort of broader strokes in the mirror universe that dealt with its leadership. And we even got to see the resistance to the Terran empire, which I, I think those were my favorite parts of this second uh, part that actually just took place in the mirror universe. But um, I would have liked to have at least gotten a hint and I'm a sucker for good guys. I mean, I've got a, collection of Superman issues that would make any regular man weep. Probably I'm looking at my mountain of long boxes next to our table here. And uh, (laughs) I mean, I I like good guys. I would have liked to have seen some sort of validation for the prime universe vision of Gabriel Lorca. I don't necessarily think that was something that needed to be on a loose thread, but you know, maybe it'll feed a rewarding moment at some point in the future. But overall I'm okay with the foray into the mirror universe, but that's far from the most engaged I was in this. Sh- it was certainly engaging when it happened, but beyond that, uh, I was ready to to go home. You know, it's like you you, you spent all weekend at Grandma's house, and Grandma's great. You love Grandma, <laughs> but your you, your own bed is really comfortable, and it's calling back to you. Yeah, Chris, you you keep you keep mentioning this. I I mean, I think that there there is a greater chance of us going back to the mirror universe then there is a chance for us to see Prime Lorca. Um, I think- I think you just broke my heart, man. You know, look, man, sometimes real love is telling somebody (laughs) what they need to hear as opposed to what they want to hear. Um, And- and (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I don't- I've I've noticed you guys in in most of your episodes and tonight, you guys seem to be like, much much more interested in a prime Lorca than really I am. Oh, okay. yeah, like I'm ahead. fine with not even knowing I'm fine with not even knowing about prime Lorca like I am I'm fine with the character I feel like the character you know of the mirror Lorca and like his sort of I feel like I got a good arc mm-hmm. from him you know like I feel like it would be cool to see if prime Lorca is like whatever some janitor or something um, or something like that but <laughs> really don't uh I'm I'm not as curious, and and my love for the mirror idea, I guess, doesn't hinge as much on another Lorca as it does for you guys. That's one yeah, thing. Yeah, so I you, you, yeah, you know who else is not as interested in uh, you guys knowing about Prime Lorca like Reef is Jason Isaacs. 
Yeah, right. So, yeah, that's true. So yeah, I think I think Jason Isaacs had his run. Um, again, he had us on a string the whole season, though. You don't think did. that he, he absolutely did? But I think he is. He is. This was a thing for him. For Jason Isaacs, this was a thing for him, much like uh, Sean Bean, where he could do a show and and really be part of a zeitgeist for a moment, and that would he would allow he would, uh, that would allow him to use that momentum to go and get bigger and better projects in on on screen and uh, on stage and what have you. Um, and this is just a thing he did where uh, he he did the right thing where he left us wanting more and we won't get any more. Well, I, now I want Sean Bean. There you go. Sean Bean. have to die horribly. Yeah, that's true. He'll get impaled by a bat left through the heart <laughs> halfway through his first appearance. Like, well, okay, we got a bean out of this. That's good. <laughs> By right. Mary Lorca, <laughs> bam, or by 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 Prime Lorca. I think you can take my chair. Oh man. Ooh. Well, all right. Well, let's 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 move along a little bit. So, one of the things that seems clear to me now is that the show was basically angling for an opportunity to prove the Federation perspective in the end, even if we all kind of felt that the season finale itself was rushed. Zachy, you said in our finale review episode that you felt the Federation as a concept was partially or maybe completely compromised in order in order to build Burnham as a character. Do you still feel that way? And also, do you feel that the finale's message of, uh, I guess, Federation morality was properly justified by what we saw? I, I still feel that way. I mean, I mean, I get what they're doing, right? Because because the message of uh, perfected humanity is is something that's difficult to to wrap our brains around so the idea of the federation bumping up against its own principles that's good drama right mm-hmm. so i get that but i think what i said before was all right we're gonna you know uh, do do like genocide on these people and then burnham's like hey don't and then she's like okay yeah maybe you won't like <laughs> like really <laughs> You know, and so so to to me, I, I I totally believe that. Like, I don't think we needed to do that to make us respect Burnham because we've done the whole season. We've seen what an admirable character she is, and I just I feel like, uh, I don't know how. I mean, you know what I mean. I I, I haven't revisited the episode since I saw mm-hmm. it. To be honest, so uh, I I don't want to dive too deep into that. But but uh, you know, anything worth having is worth fighting for, and I feel like. This this is a period where we're you know the the enterprise is shooting around space, sort of spreading the message of the Federation, and then they're being the 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 people back in the home office are being so wishy washy about it. I don't know that that did kind of mm-hmm. bump me. It didn't bump me out of it, but it yeah. did bump me. No, I think that's that's understandable. Uh, well, same question to everyone: Is the message and general ideological victory? for the Federation justified by the time the credits roll on the season finale, or did, did it leave something to be desired? Sharif, this seems like a, a question Taylor made for you. Like the, the, <laughs> the depth to which the show would end up going with justifying the Federation perspective. Did you find that satisfying or wanting, or did you have a different take on it? I mean, I 
to me, like, I think I'm not sure exactly what the show was trying to say about the Federation, because to me, the Admiral, like when, when they decided on genocide I, and they decided not doing it, I don't feel like that was some huge 100% change in their fundamental values. I think what it showed is that they could go there if they wanted to. And just because they decided not to go there this time, because they realized that they trusted like a mad woman, basically, uh-huh. um, in, in uh, Emperor Jojo, that doesn't mean that they're like, okay, now we're only going to follow, you know, pra- like the the Star Trek Geneva <laughs> Convention, basically. Um, I feel like they took this as an opportunistic thing where they felt like, no, nah, we're not going to d- do that this time because it would look really bad, mm-hmm. sure. you know? Um, so I don't feel like there was sort of a victory of Federation, uh, you know, of of the typical um, Federation thought process that like we would think about, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think that th- I think that this is basically like, hey, you better have somebody like Burnham <laughs> on your team uh, because otherwise, like the Federation <laughs> is going to get yeah. dirty, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, so so like that's kind of what what I took from it. I'm not sure if that was the intention uh-huh. of the show. Um, but after, you know, like I watched the last few episodes, uh, a couple of times and like, I kind of felt that each time that like I watched it was like, you know, I kind of didn't feel this rousing, like yay federation by the time I finished. The maybe, maybe I mean, did the, it worry yes. you a little bit? Like there's sort of an ideological precariousness that they're operating off of. Well, it honestly opened me up to some interesting concepts of having a star trek season where it's literally you know um a few people fighting against you know big brother federation government um but then that was kind of ruined by the last shot uh of the season because i was like oh well that's not going to happen now that they're introducing this angle mm-hmm. um so you know so like i don't think it's going to happen um but i i don't know i i i was not left super optimistic about the federation after the show maybe over. maybe that'll lead to a uh a, a sort of opening that can be exploited by a certain clandestine organization that hasn't that doesn't really have any compunction about serving larger it's morality true. right who knows Absolutely, especially if they got Jojo. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that's that's a nightmare waiting to happen. Cicero, what do you think about this? Um, so I, I was, I, I felt like it left me wanting. Um, the the way it again, it was just the way that it was it was handled was so kind of hackneyed, and you know, I, I, like I felt like somebody's seven year old got to finish the finish the season and. Um, it, it, you know, again, so I, you know, I kind of talked about it in, in when we when we were talking about uh, Tyler, re, you know, uh, reintegrating himself back onto the onto uh, Discovery, and that scene in the mess hall with Tilly and everybody else, where it was that Saved by the Bell moment. Um, it, there was a lot of that again with the resolutions to everything. So with Laurel and the, and the Klingons, like with earth in its sight, like you could see Cleveland from, from the, from the birds of prey. And then they decided to fly away. I don't know why I picked Cleveland, but, um, but they, you know, they flew away at the last moment, you know, right before they were about to, uh, 
you know, Death Star Tatooine or whatever. And and uh, um, it, it it was just it was just a weird weird thing. And then you know, I mean the 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 ease with which, and I I get that it was you know desperate times, but the ease with which the the command command of the Federation was willing to forego their principles and and uh, commit genocide was just. It it just didn't seem right. It didn't sit right with me. And again, it's like were were it not for Michael Burnham and the rest of the crew of Discovery, the you know, I mean, we would be in the mirror universe. Like, I mean, we were we were you know just right. we were just this close to becoming Terrans ourselves. Um, and and that just seems that seems weird to me. Um, it just it just doesn't sit well with me. But again, I think it, it has a lot to do with the fact that they wanted to make sure that they had an opportunity to finish these stories before if they never got a season two. And also where they were like, oh, crap, we've only got five episodes to finish all of these stories that we started in the first eight episodes or first 10 episodes, actually. Um, what are we going to do? We've got, you know, we've got seven hours or eight hours of stories to tell and only five hours to do them in. Uh, what do we, what do we cut mm-hmm. out? And that's, right. you know, and that's what we got in the second half of the season. And, and because of that, we have these conversations. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Uh, again, another understandable perspective, Rachel, do you, what do you think about this whole concept of, I mean, it seemed like they were trying to push forward the idea of Federation ideals winning out, but obviously there's some split on the perspective on that. Yeah, what do you I think, think the the speed at which it happened compromised what they well, were trying to do yeah. with the narrative. It's so much mm-hmm. better than <laughs> like it. <laughs> like it's just you. Like you don't feel it. Like they show you. Like oh no, that Klingons are close to Earth. They can see <laughs> Cleveland as. <laughs> By the way, Cleveland is probably where the Klingon consulate right is going to be by the twenty yes. fourth century. That's probably why I picked Cleveland. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I just like you know we're supposed to be like oh no well and then like it, they let us connect those dots ourselves Mm -hmm. and be like oh they must be really desperate that's why they're doing it it's like no that's not how you tell a story like make me feel it make me feel the desperation and make Mm -hmm. me feel why it's important to do the right thing even when you feel desperate Mm -hmm. like i think that's what they were going for but like i didn't they they can't beat you over at all well no like they yeah, they just let me connect those dots myself. Mm-hmm. And so then I don't even, I, you know, I'm not sure if that's what they meant to be saying. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's, it was just sort of like, oh, this happened. Now we're going to commit genocide. You know, you shouldn't do that. That's not right. right. <laughs> You're right. It's not right. Good job. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Federation. So yeah, I I think more emotional weight, and you need more time to do that. So okay, that, that was the problem. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, and I, I I think I'm in general agreement with you. I mean, it it just doesn't seem like there was enough service given for the feeling. You know, that's the thing. I it's it. I guess it's just kind of a hard thing for good storytellers to actually. Uh, or, or maybe it's maybe it's mediocre storytellers, but 
you know, there's a lot of lip service. Like they think that feeling can be completely generated through writing and through dialogue. And that's just not the case. You know, the immediate example that comes to mind for me in this show, probably the, the part in the show where my heart was pounding the most was in the turbo lift on the Shenzhou where Burnham had to basically murder someone who was going to murder her, someone that she had known in the prime universe that she basically had to watch die again. But this time, you know, it was a recognizable face dying at her hand and Sonequa Martin green just owned that scene so well because you saw this devastating anguish in her eyes, you know, tears almost ready to run down her face, but she can't afford to cry because when the turbo lift doors open, there's a crew who expects a monster of a captain and leader. And so she just like turned the Vulcan on, I guess Michael turned her inner Vulcan on and basically just went with it. And there wasn't really a lot of dialogue to support that scene, but I just felt it. And uh, I mean, the the example about dialogue versus actual emotional involvement that I always bring up is Man of Steel, because Man of Steel as a, as a Superman movie, there was a ton of lip service given to the idea of hope. There wasn't a lot of emotion of hope to be found in that yes. movie. And uh, it's just one one example of of dialogue not exactly you know being able to substitute what it means for true emotional connection. But uh, but that kind of feeds into the next thing that I wanted to talk to all of you guys about, because one thing that we've all discussed to varying degrees about Star Trek's general success over the past 50 years has been its ability to be of its time, at least in the best cases, you know, coming to talk to us about relevant societal topics at the right moments of contemporary times and at the right moments in history. Do you guys think that Discovery is following in that tradition and do you think it's succeeding or failing? Uh, Because the thing that immediately comes to my mind when it comes to this is when Lorca, when Mirror Lorca is making his speech about what was lost in the Terran Empire under the leadership of George O, there was this nationalistic human supremacist attitude that did not necessarily feel out of place when put in its proper context in our world today that was particularly chilling but even if that's not necessarily what i would have wanted to hear i can't deny its relevance so do you guys think that discovery is following in that tradition of trying to stay current to be of its time to tell a story that connects with people or is it not managing to meet that uh rather lofty goal zachy what do you think I think it is. I mean, you know, it. It's. Uh, I think this is the the genius of the Star Trek concept in general is that it's so elastic. Uh, I think, uh, really, uh, notwithstanding, you know, some of our nitpicks about how it's handled, uh, you know, what the Federation represents. I think um, what what I what I think the show does very well is show why the Star Trek future is something worth aspiring towards even now even in a moment like right now right now where it feels in many ways further away Mm -hmm. than ever yeah sure you know very well said sharif what do you think um yeah i mean i as well as i said before i kind of have that opinion that i don't know if it was saying that the federation ideal is what we normally think it is right 
Um, but I do think that this show was definitely of its time, you know? Um, and I think that's why, you know, um, hopefully, um, it, you know, will be seen as a success. Um, because yeah, I think that part of it, and, and this is kind of a pro and the con of the show is sort of like the pacing. I feel like a lot of shows right now are paced very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that that's why they had that pressure to kind of fit like a lot of, uh, different plot lines in there. I also think that the, um, even though Star Trek has always been a show about diversity, I, th- I don't think that they had a lot of roles as diverse as, as they have in this show. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that Star Trek, obviously, you know, with like one of their first interracial kisses and that kind of stuff has always had a lot of major moments, but it's still been, you know, um, a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that, like a discovery really did try you, 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 you know, with, with, uh, Tyler and Joe and, and like Burnham that they really did try to make a lot of their main characters that you connect with, you know, not fitting the, 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 uh, same stereotype. And I was surprised that I thought that there were, I guess, gay relationships before on Star Trek. Um, I was trying to think of it, but like, I was surprised when I was reading that, um, you know, that like the relationship that was portrayed was one of the first, well, I, I think the first on a mainline Star Trek series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the first out and out one, the, the only other time, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the only other one that comes to mind is the uh, relationship between Dax and her, her previous right. significant other at another host because they were husband and wife. Yeah. But then at that point in time, both of their hosts were female. So they just sort of reconnect. Right. So it was kind of a, uh, I don't want to say backhanded way of, of getting to a same sex relationship, but it wasn't as, uh, it certainly wasn't as pure as Stamets and Culber. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I think from, uh, that perspective, I mean, like I know that that was one thing that had me interested up front. Um, Obviously, I, I was already a fan of like uh, Sonequa from from The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. but I think even if I wasn't, um, that initially when I saw the uh, casting, I was like, "Whoa! Like this, they're they're really you know making that effort." Mm-hmm. So, so like I think that like that's like another kind of kind of just justification of it being of his time and like uh, really hitting um, on those societal topics. And I do think that you know even though most Star Trek series do deal with some kind of like total totalitarian totalitarianism which mm-hmm. i always always mispronounce <laughs> um i think that you know obviously given sort of like the times we're in i think that it does ring a little um a little harder um when you're reading like the news the day after here you know watching discovery so so um, yeah i mean i i think that like once again i think that they are succeeding in that tradition mm-hmm. very well said Cicero, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, culturally this this show is of its time in on so many levels in much the same ways that you described, uh, Chris, much the same ways that you described, Reef. Um, you know, I mean, the show starts passing the Beckdale test. Like, that's how it opens. Right. Um, with with a, a woman of Chinese descent um, and, and a, you know, black American woman standing there and, and talking to each other 
it, I mean, it's just that that's amazing. Just just off the just off the jump. Um, but then it it gets even better when it comes to um, really really celebrating diversity. You know, from from not only the first gay characters, but the it's like a gay interracial couple um, on on top of that, uh, and you know, and not you know, not some cheating interspecies thing or something like that. This was this was two human males uh, who loved each other, and you know, and wasn't made to to be weird. Um, the of course the speech from from Lorca, uh talking about this crazy xenophobia that that you know we can definitely draw uh draw comparisons to everything that's going on within our country uh to you know today mm-hmm. and uh the the way the the way the show was paced um you know if we don't talk about you know from the from the just the uh social aspects of it or or the political aspects of it um just the way the show was paced is is culturally applicable to the way TV is paced today, and and you know the serialized nature of the show, uh, which was something that we talked about a lot in in the beginning in, in chapter one, um, and how that was such a departure from all of the other shows, save maybe DS Nine. Um, all of that screamed. We need to connect with the audience, you know, with today's audience, with an audience from 2018 and and beyond, uh, mm-hmm. and and I think they were very very successful in doing that. Sure, very well said, as usual. Rachel, is Star Trek Discovery of its time? So you you say I'm not verbose enough, but everyone already covered all <laughs> of the salient points. All I'm saying is that I want to hear what's in your heart because it's a mystery to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's nice. Um, yeah, I think it is. Um, I think the through line of multiculturalism being a um, an asset, not a whatever Lorca thinks it is. Hindrance. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think he has a, a good line in there about it being some sort of like a pipe dream or a fantasy or something like that. Yeah. He belittles the Federation's perspective. Yeah. And I think that having that and also having the cast itself be pretty diverse mm-hmm. um, kind of plays off each other. So you have this sort of, refutation of alt-right nutjobs on on the internet who hate discovery because because uh, there are people who aren't <laughs> alabaster colored that are in. i guess so i don't know um and i'm a pretty white guy and i still get annoyed as shit by what those kinds of people say it's just it's so bad i just Lorca is too it's too real it's too real and I have nightmares. That's all. That's all I'll say. <laughs> From, From what? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think it did uh, address some issues of our time. Um, maybe not as uh, some would say directly. Mm-hmm. Others might say as preachily as <laughs> previous um, iterations of Star Trek have. Um, you know, I'd almost like to see them. You know take some 
more issues on in an allegorical way more directly bring on the Um, accusations of virtue signaling right is that what they're gonna say i don't think that's what that is i don't know what that is (laughs) i just hear it and i get annoyed i'll explain it to you later (laughs) um (laughs) i want to i want to hear that podcast (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I I absolutely agree with you, Rachel, and I think that the only way that can be done is well, the a good way that that can be done is with a slower paced show. I think part of throwing all this stuff in is you lose the the time to delve into that kind of stuff because there's always some action some action sequence or plot turn or plot twist or that kind of stuff like going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's definitely a theme of second half of this podcast is you went too fast people <laughs> slow down impulse power all right we don't need to all turn into lizards it's 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 unnecessary it's a trans warp reference by the way but yeah well well said see it's not it's, i like to hear what's what's in your brain all right you don't tell me enough and i'm left to guess <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously in, in general agreement with everybody. I think that, um, discovery, it, it was necessary. We needed Star Trek right now. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad that there are people who are making this show that recognize the symbolic power that the franchise has, particularly when it comes to representation and to depicting multiculturalism is one of our greatest strengths as opposed to a hindrance. You could argue that maybe it was a little too direct for Lorca to, to, to say, you know, how much of a drag it is on the Terran empire. But at the same time too, you know, there's also evil representation in Star Trek discovery, which I find some value in, you know, you have to, I, I always have, especially when I was younger, like when I was taking college film classes, for instance, I would hear from some older members because I was at a community college. So there were people of all age groups in, in my classes. And I would hear like, oh, we don't need to see that. We don't need to hear that. And my perspective has always been you need to see what evil looks like in order to know what it is and what kinds of forms it can come into. And it's even better if it's a little uh, hard to detect at first before it reveals itself, you know. Um, and Discovery kind of took that idea and it wasn't as, I guess, subtle as I would have preferred, but I still find value in the perspective that it did present. And uh, the ability for people to take ownership of a mainstream American television series that don't look like me. I think that that's so important, especially for the future of everything. I have had the ability and the privilege as a white male to look at the vast majority of Star Trek stories as they were told and take immediate ownership because of the relative lack of diversity when compared with what Discovery has done. And I don't find that threatening and no one should find it threatening, people who look like me. You don't need to find that threatening because these are characters and it's an idea that everybody can get behind. And that's one of the core reasons why Star Trek has been a franchise that's so important to me. First of all, it's us. I find a significant amount of value in the fact that it is trying to be our future. Uh, and they even canonized Elon Musk right. this season in the Star Trek universe. How about that? But um, We'll see. We'll see if he earns that. <laughs> oh, well, okay, fair enough. But, <laughs> but there is so much... 
What about Mirror Universe? Oh, 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 hey now. What is he right. doing? That's what I want to know. He might have a soul pass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like a, a dummy in the Tesla, it's a real dude that he sent up there. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. But but no, I mean, that that's something that I've always found a significant amount of value in when it comes to all of Star Trek. You know, whether it wasn't as well realized as it is in Discovery when it comes to that kind of representation, we did start to get there. I mean, even Discovery is not perfect in that respect, but it's certainly closer to the standard that I hope the rest of the show adheres to. And you presented characters to us this season for all of the faults of the narrative over the course of the season and the mechanics of how the plot moved. I found a lot of characters that I can't wait to see what they get up to next. And, uh, and they, they come from so many different backgrounds and places and ideas and perspectives. I mean, I found the tete-a-tete between Stamets and Lorca in the early going of the season about, you know, military versus uh, science exploration to be a very compelling theme. And now it looks like we're going to go even further. You have Burnham who comes from a split household. She lived with a human family and then all of a sudden was uprooted and lived in an alien culture, which she took ownership of later. There's a lot of room there even before you get to the fact that she has a distinct connection to one of the most iconic characters in the entire franchise. So there is such great potential with this show. It wasn't fully realized in the first season, but when is it ever realized in a first season of a Star Trek show? Because I don't think it ever has with the possible exception of the original series. Uh, But even then, you know, it didn't get quite as crazy as it certainly would. Uh, as weird and wonky as the third season of that show is, it did have this weird kind of confidence about it that I have a great deal of respect for. But Discovery is starting out on a hell of a right foot. Even if there were some things that I would have wanted to have changed, even if there were some things that a lot of other Star Trek fans would have wanted to have changed, this is a great way to get us on the ground floor for what's coming next. Let's just hope that they deliver on what comes next. So, We've gone over both chapters. Let's uh, let's wind this down. I've got two final questions for everybody. The first one is, which chapter do you like better between the two? You have to pick one. And if you had to assign a letter grade to the overall season, what would it be? Zachy, why don't you go first? Oh, boy. Um... That's uh, that's a, it's a hard pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the grade. I'll I'll say a solid B overall. Okay. For the season, and um, I'm gonna say the second half kind of wow. surprise. Whoa! Wow. A twist ending. Wow. Reverse um, agony booth. That, that I know. Look at look at that. It's Mirazaki. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, very well. And, and 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 the reason the reason I picked the second half is because. Given that that's what was the intention from the start, I, I'm going to pick the thing that actually moves the show towards what they were trying to do versus just sort of laying the pipe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's that's why I picked that. Very well said. Cicero. Man, all right. Uh, you know, yeah, I guess, you know, we've got uh, two professors here on the panel right now. Um, I'm going to tell everyone again that if you want the good grades, come come over to Professor Holmes. Uh, because, <laughs> because uh, I think, again, that this is uh, 
the best first season of Trek ever. I will give it an A minus. Um, and um, man, it is it is really tough to pick um, a, a favorite half uh, because I feel like the first half was 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 so much fun to discuss and speculate mm-hmm. about, and the second half was just a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm gonna go with the first half just to be different from Zachy. <laughs> <laughs> what what puts it over the top? Uh, what you? what puts the first half over the top? I think because the first half was so filled with intrigue and and you know there were so many things to discuss and speculate. Um, I, you know I think about mm-hmm. obviously coming and talking to you guys about it, and I think about uh going into work and talking to some of my coworkers that were watching it. And we were able to speculate about what we thought was going to happen or who this person was or what, you know, what this person's motivations were. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, there's, there's much more discourse to happen with, with that type of thing. You know, when you, when you're speculating, then chapter two, mm-hmm. where it was, did you see this thing? Because um, that was that's what sure. chapter two was. Chapter two was, oh man, did you see that? That was awesome. The end. Um, can't wait for the next episode. Right. There wasn't a lot of speculatory um, discourse to happen that that happened because of chapter two. So, all right, I see. Excellent, Rachel. Uh, I think I've made it pretty clear. I like the first chapter better. Well, hey, um, I don't know if you're going to pull a rabbit out of a hat like right. Zachy just did. Yeah. I, <laughs> no surprises here. Uh, I, just, I found it more interesting and engaging, and um, and the pacing was better. Okay. It was closer. Uh, overall, I will give it a B plus. All right. Okay. All right. Very, very solid. Sharif, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the first half as well. Um, I really love the second half as well. It's really close, but I think going in and finding out more about, um, you know, Michael and Lorca and the crew in the first half to me, that kind of mystery of what exactly was going on was more impactful than sort of the, the ride that, uh, part two gave. Mm -hmm. Um, but, I agree with Cicero. I think this is the best first season of Star Trek I've ever seen. Um, so I'll give it a solid A. Oh, all right. Um, um, I, I, yeah, it was incredible. Um, as I said before, it's one of the few shows that I watched with my girlfriend, which which definitely added to it because you know we never really watched a Trek before together, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just it was just great through and through. Um, and you know, I've been recommending it to like a lot of folks who've been doubting the CBS all access thing. I'm like, look, just, just do it guys. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan, um, of this season. I think they accomplished everything they need to do to bring Star Trek back to like relevance as a TV series. Mm Mm-hmm. Very well said. Well, it looks like you want the good grades. You go to professor Jackson. Yeah. Now, apparently. He, he's Professor Holmes is going to have to uh, sweeten the pot a little bit. Right, right. <laughs> and he's a real professor. So, <laughs> so go to him. Go to him. His classes are fun. 
as for me, um, I'm going to say that I probably preferred the second half. Oh. Uh, now, when I say that, uh, I, I kind of I'm of I'm of two minds about it because I feel like the plot was a little more coherent in chapter one. But the character work was so overriding and attention grabbing in chapter two that I think that's what I favor in this instance. Okay. So um, I'm, it, it's pretty close, but I'm going to go with chapter two and I'm going to give it a B plus, I think. overall. Oh. Now that could change. I mean, it depends on what we see from the show next, but just as a season, I'm in general agreement with everybody when it's when I think that it is probably the best first season of certainly a modern Star Trek. And I also really enjoy the extended universe stuff that we've gotten just out of the discovery concept. I've enjoyed both books immensely as we will we'll, with the second book. We'll talk about that very soon. But um, it's really easy to get caught up in this show and the world that it has created within a world I already know so well. So I'm very, uh, very happy to, to enjoy this first season again. I think I want to watch through it at least one more time, maybe before Westworld starts, but we'll see. And, uh, and, and honestly, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's in the 23rd century. I didn't think that that was something that I was going to like, uh, as a relative original series purist, but I, I do think that there's a fair amount of stuff to explore in the 23rd century on ships that are not named Enterprise, even though we might see a little bit about what the Enterprise was up to early in season two. I would hope hopefully, so. Hopefully, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, you, you and me both. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in this world, which is, which is more than I could have asked for. And uh, I'm especially looking forward to seeing new takes on what will what what we could be gleaning from section 31 that has me excited so i guess that kind of leads into to the very last thing that i'm going to ask you guys about which is wish list for season two for me since we got a hint at section 31 i would not be averse to an entire season oriented around section 31 particularly if characters from the original series and from the cage specifically are going to be involved. I think that's a really interesting way to mold the old with the new or to meld the old with the new. And I would be really into that if uh, you have like Saru and Captain Pike trying to stay one step ahead of this clandestine organization that already has a mirror universe emperor while also potentially exploring the conflict or relative conflict between Michael and Spock. That sounds really cool. I'm not going to write my own script. I'm willing to go for the ride on on what they have waiting for us. But if they want to pay you to write a script, uh, well, hey, I'm available. Just just get in touch with me. But uh, that's probably on my wish list for season two is a lot of section thirty one because I like them to an unreasonable degree. But uh, let's go to everybody else. Zachy, do you have any specific wish wishes for season two, or do you have a list? Uh, if we can get a bunch of episodes set in the mirror universe where it's just Klingons <laughs> talking to each other, I'll be freaking ecstatic. <laughs> they'll have my number. Oh my god, that was great. I'm going to tip your waitress, ladies uh, and gentlemen. You know, just, I, I'm I'm ready to be surprised. I I. I'm very curious about who they cast as uh, Spock uh, or if it's just like one big tease. I think that would be uh, 
I'm curious if that's something that they end up doing. Like, oh, you thought we were going to see Spock, actually, or not? Like, he'll be just around the corner oh, constantly. Like, like the Bourne movie, like you mentioned before. <laughs> yeah, right, you know? Uh, so right. I... I'm, I'm very curious about that, uh, but you know, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm open. I'm I'm ready to to discover what they have. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Yes, my I salute you, Rachel. Season two wish list. I would like more allegorical episodes with preachy themes of Federation ideals because my 2018 <laughs> soul is very open to. It's very susceptible to any like optimistic idealistic fiction you like hearing that things are going to be okay tomorrow yeah yeah that people aren't the worst i understand all right well we we can we can hope we'll 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 fill the next several months talking about star trek that should help a little bit yeah and action comics number 1000 comes out in a couple of weeks so you get a, a fill of superman yeah. too all right which is good cicero Yes. Um, so my my wish list is um, I want some Harry Mud. I want some oh, more Harry oh, Mud. All right. Um, yeah. So I, you know, um, let's let's hope uh, that we get some some more of that. Uh, you know, obviously uh, the stuff with Section Thirty One. I want to see how they introduce that stuff. Um, I hope that uh, Spock is played by Javid Iqbal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, um, I think that would be highly logical. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I, and, and much, much like Zachy, I'm ready for the ride. I really have a lot of confidence, uh, in this group. Uh, I think that with, with their confidence in knowing that they've got a second season and they can just go in and tell Star Trek branded stories, whether they're serialized or procedural, um, the, the fact that they know they have at least a season and probably two, hopefully uh, two more to tell Star Trek stories in this universe um, will give them the, the, the space to, to create like a full non abridged vision for, for a season arc. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Very well said. Sharif, close us out. What is your wish list for season two, if if you have one? Yeah, so my wish list is really to, I guess, to, um, I guess, uh, change a lot of the things that I kind of had issues with in season one, which is mainly get to know more people on the crew. Um, so I feel like, again, they, as I said before, they slow down a bit, then you can really get into some of those like relationships a little more. Um, and uh, I also do want uh, some more, um, maybe not Mary Universe stuff, but as I said in the first part, more about the uh, mycelial network. Um, I really mm-hmm. think that it would be awesome if they could push that science slash spiritual connection that isn't just like you know, um, like uh, the, the you know just just like two people just like wandering around trying to get out of a coma. Like I think that they can hit it a little deeper than that and really talk about how the world is connected. The universe is like connected and really take that wild. I think that they can get a lot of great stories out of that. Um, so yeah, those, those, those would be my, uh, some of my wishes for season two. Excellent. Well, 
I think that uh, that about covers our full discussion for this. Now, before I sign us off, Sharif, do you have anything you want to tell people about as far as what you're up to, where they can find your stuff, and where they can find you? Yeah. Uh, so if you go to SharifJackson.com and you, and you click on the My Projects button, that'll pretty much link you to everything, to my YouTube stuff, my Twitch stuff, um, Ball and Me podcast, which I co-host with cicero um, my science looks good blog or i post you know different sciencey things um and, and like all my social media so you could pretty much hit me up there perfect excellent well thank you for joining us we really appreciate you being able to come on and, and talk trek with us and uh of course thanks to our wonderful panel for reconvening after a bit of a break but um I don't think that you're going to be without us for very much longer because we have some plans in the works, but as of right now, that's going to do it for episode 19 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you would be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. Uh, It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes as we prepare for what comes next. The next episode that we have planned is a review, reaction, and discussion pertaining to the second Discovery tie-in novel, Drastic Measures, by author Dayton Ward. After that, we'd love to know what you would like to hear us talk about, so feel free to get in touch. We've got to fill the time between now and Season 2 of Discovery somehow. As always, though, once again, thank you to our panel, thank you to Sharif for joining us, and as always, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. 